Let's turn to God's Word now, shall we? Let's take our Bibles out, and we're going to turn to Mark's Gospel this morning. We're going to turn to chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 35 through 41 of that chapter, the last part of chapter 4. Follow along as I read chapter 4 of Mark, beginning in verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with him in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for what it teaches us. Lord, we recognize that we require the illumination of your spirit, Father, and so we pray for it, that we might hear, that we might Uh, rejoice in what we hear, that we might learn the lessons that you have for us this morning. In all of this, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, if someone were to ask you, sitting here this morning, what is the greatest danger in Northern California? Say the greatest natural danger. Um, Especially in the last decade or so, I think the answer would come quickly to our minds and our lips that wildfires are the thing that we deal with. Um, I'm from Southern California. In Southern California, growing up, uh, although they have fires too, the thing that we were known for and that people were always on constant alert for were earthquakes. That's what we had to deal with. In other parts of the country, the Midwest and back east, storms of various kinds are the disasters that they deal with, whether it's tornadoes in the Midwest or hurricanes along the Gulf Coast and on the the Atlantic Coast. Wind and rain are the elements that, that wreak much havoc in those areas. Each area, it seems, sort of faces their own types of threats, and as we all at various times experience them each year, we learn more, Uh, we learn lessons about how to deal with them, certainly how to recover from them, and hopefully how to avoid as much as we can, or at least to, to be able to prepare for them to mitigate the disaster, to mitigate the loss that happens. Different areas, due to their geography, their topography, are susceptible to different kinds of storms. In northeastern Israel, the Sea of Galilee, or the 
Lake Kinnereth, as it's also called, is such a place. The Sea of Galilee is the lowest freshwater lake on earth. It lies nearly 700 feet below sea level. It sits in a basin and is surrounded by hills and mountains, especially on the east side, more precipitous type of uh, topography there. And then 30 miles northeast of that is Mount Hermon, and it rises some 9,200 feet above sea level. So there's quite a difference, and what happens is that that cold air coming down from Mount Hermon uh, meets that warm air rising up off the Sea of Galilee, and it can produce a very dangerous and very sudden storms. It's one of the things that it is known for is the, the storms that would arise very quickly, very serious storms sometimes. And that's the case in our passage that we read this morning. Mark's record of this this particular storm on this particular day and the situation of one particular small boat on this lake in this storm is meant to teach us several lessons. Not really about storms per se, but about the people in the boat, about one of them in particular, and about situations, situations in your particular life, when storms of a different kind come upon you, as they certainly do. Now, of course, what we just read here is, again, one of those more well-known passages from the pages of scriptures, one of the more um, notable miracles that Jesus did. And it comes to us as as the first of several incidents that Mark records now. We're sort of moving into a, a, a new subsection here of, of Mark's gospel. And it will stretch um, into chapter 5, in fact, through the end of chapter 5. And in these incidents that Mark records and puts together here for us, we're going to see a demonstration, uh, really another demonstration, of Jesus' authority in several areas. Mark has shown us that already back in chapter 1 we saw several incidents that Mark recorded that showed Jesus' authority over sickness and over demons and even remember the authority to forgive sins. And now these incidents that we're going to look at will show in an escalating way some of the same things. And he begins here with this account. It's a very dramatic account. It's also a very vivid account in the telling of it. As you read it, as you heard it, perhaps several of the details of this story really give the, the indication and give the flavor that, that this record was obtained by an eyewitness to these events, some of the details, some of the way that it's uh, mentioned. And of course, we know that's the case, Uh, as Mark's main source, remember, for his gospel, was one of the men who were in that boat, in that particular boat, on that particular lake, on this particular day, the Apostle Peter. And this straightforward, short account is full of instruction for us. In fact, almost every phrase teaches us something important. 
And we're going to focus this morning as we look through this on the lessons that we learn from this short record here. The first thing that we learn about this morning is we learn about the humanity of Jesus, a very important topic in Scripture, the humanity of Christ. And the opening phrase of verse 35 links this episode with what began back in chapter 4 as Jesus began to teach. Here in our verse this morning it says, On that day when evening had come. You know, Jesus, remember, had been teaching the crowds all day. Last week we learned that he had utilized a boat as a sort of floating pulpit. And he sat in the boat and taught the people on the land. A boat probably belonging to one of several fishermen that he had in his group of close followers. And he used it as he taught the people. As he taught them in parables. As he taught them about the kingdom of God. As he taught them about the coming of the king. And now Mark tells us here in verse 35 that the day is over. That same day, but it's over. It's the end of the day. And Jesus says to them, again in verse 35, let us go across to the other side. That is to the other side of the Sea of Galilee where they're, where they're at. They're headed toward the eastern shore at the beginning of chapter 5. We see that that's where they end up. And so they're going from sort of the, the northwest corner of the lake across to the eastern shore of the lake. And probably to gain time to, to get away from the crowds, to, to rest, to recuperate because Jesus knows that when they get to that shore that there's more ministry that there's going to be to do. If we look down at verse 38... Uh, we read that Jesus goes and he lies down and that he quickly falls asleep there in the boat. That, there is a, that is a reminder to us of the humanity of Jesus. A reminder that the ministry that Jesus has been involved in, and remember this had become a concern to his family as well, but this ministry took a toll on him physically, as it would for anyone. If you look at verse 36, it tells us that the response of the disciples to this request of Jesus to cross to the other side is that they took him with them in the boat. It says, just as he was. That is, without any further preparation, without even a stopping, it appears, to, to eat, taking food of any kind. It's just, let's just get out here and let's rest. We rest on the way to the shore, there on the eastern shore. Just want to get gone. If you've ever been doing something and it's been hard work perhaps or it's been busy and you get to the end of the day, you know how sometimes you just want to get home? You just want to leave. You don't want to wash up. You don't want to grab a bite. You just want to go. Um, and that's kind of what's going on here. Jesus says, let's cross. They take him just as he is. They get, in the, they get in the boat, probably the same one that he was preaching from, and they set out without any further preparation. They begin their journey across the lake, the apostles, at least, anticipating a smooth, uneventful trip. Of course, it ends up as anything but. But Jesus, this, this fact of him being tired and, and sleeping. The New Testament is very clear 
that in the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ that he became very man of very man while remaining, of course, very God of very God. A human nature, a divine nature together fully in one person. The author of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus was a true man. It says that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. So that was the reason that he became man is so he could be like us, so that he could save us. He goes on in, in Hebrews and says that he was made like his brethren in all things. And we see that indeed here Jesus shared in our nature and therefore had to rest just like we had to rest. He had to eat just like we have to eat. And so we learn here very briefly but importantly the lesson of, of the grace of God in stooping down, stooping down and becoming God in the flesh, the stooping down of Christ to serve us. For our sake he did this, taking our nature, taking our nature so that he could do one of the very few things that God can't do. Did you know there's a few things that God can't do? He can't sin. He can't lie. He can't change. He can't deny himself. He cannot act contrary to his nature. But what was especially important here is that one of the things that God couldn't do is that God can't die. And in order for God to redeem man, in order for God to pay the penalty for man's sin, it was essential that he die. Because that's the penalty that we bear. It was essential that if we were to be saved, that he had to die. And so it was essential that Christ become man in order to save man the creature. And we see here evidence that Jesus is truly man. We see that humanity of Jesus. We have a second lesson also that this teaches us in this event. And that is that it teaches us about the realities of following Jesus. Uh, many years ago now, uh, R.C. Sproul wrote a book with the title, Surprised by Suffering. And many people are surprised by suffering, that is. Now, some of the blame for that, I would say, falls on preachers, teachers who either don't know their Bibles or are somehow so concerned to sort of absolve God from being blamed for causing suffering that they fall off into unbiblical theology and unbiblical teachings. Some of it, also, I think, falls on people who just can't accept that God has anything to do with suffering and that God should and or will remove all suffering here and now. You know, if we are just close enough to Christ, if we have enough faith that we won't suffer, that's a lie. That is not what the Bible teaches. Let me tell you this this morning, congregation, don't be surprised by suffering. 
Don't be surprised when you suffer. Don't be surprised when bad things happen to you. Now, here in this situation, Mark records for us that the disciples were, were close to Christ. They're following Christ. They're close to Jesus. They're here helping him. They're whisking him away to hopefully a restful boat ride and a, a respite from the crowds. They were near to him. They were learning from him day by day. And here they, they get out on the water, again, anticipating a, a quick and easy boat ride to the eastern shore. They know this lake. But look what verse 37 says. It says, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. And I talked for a minute about the storms that, that crop up on the Sea of Galilee. They do rise up. They would rise up suddenly, but they mostly do so during the day. So much so, and the nights are typically calm, so that the, most of the fishing that was done on the Sea of Galilee was done at night because it was a, a more, um, it was able to be anticipated to be, to be calm. Storms at night were rare on the Sea of Galilee, but when they did come, they were typically especially severe and especially dangerous. And this one was. It says that the waves were breaking into the boat. The boat was already filling. It was going to sink. It took no thought as to the apostles' devotion to Christ. It's just a storm. And beloved, we need to know and we need to be reminded so that we're not surprised by these kinds of things that the Christian life and that Christian service is not a guarantee of a walk in the park in life. As I say, there are churches out there, there are pastors out there, there are teachers out there who teach that it will be, or that it can be, or that it should be. In fact, it's just the opposite, isn't it? With Christianity comes the promise of troubles, and of trials, and of tribulations, and of persecution, and of struggles of various kinds. We will all face difficulties that we would not face if we were not following Christ. The devil, he has no care to attack those that are his. The world has no care to attack those who are walking lockstep with their values. But those, as Jesus said, who do not love the world, or John said, do not love the world or the things of the world, they're targets. And that's us. That's you. Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would love you, would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, he said, therefore the world hates you. And on top of all of this, the fact that we live in a fallen world means that we will face fallenness, the results of fallenness. We will face sickness, loss of others, heartaches, pain, depression, lack of of fulfillment, family troubles, work troubles, you name it. We will face them. 
And some Christians are surprised at that, but none of us should be. There was a song back in the day, not Jesus' day, my day, that said, I beg your pardon, you know the rest of it probably, I never promised you a rose garden. And Jesus could have said the same thing. In fact, Jesus did say the same thing. He said in John 16, 33, in this world you will have troubles. How often have you heard that on the television, the televangelists preaching? They don't quote that one very often. Also that passage that I just mentioned from, from John 15, 19, that the world hates you and you will have troubles because of that. Not just, not just troubles, but attacks, but persecution. And being faithful servants of Christ will not change that. In fact, it will exacerbate that. Remember the Apostle Paul, one of the, I think we would agree, one of the most faithful servants of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 11, he rehearses a litany of, of sufferings that he had encountered as a Christian. And many of these sufferings are, in fact, probably most of them are, like this storm, unexpected. Unexpected heartaches and illness and loss and disappointments. Unexpected suffering is to be expected. And faithfully, a Christian, they are to be faithfully, patiently, prayerfully endured. And as we'll see next, the disciples still had to learn that last part that they need to be endured. No, beloved people of God this morning, ease is not promised by God. But grace is. Amen? Grace is sufficient, superabundant, divine, appropriate grace. Ease is not promised to us, but the usefulness and the profitability of the storms that we face is promised. So much that James could say, count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know, do you know? You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let the steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So that Paul can say, ultimately, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. We will be tested, Christian, we will be tried, we will be set upon, we will meet all of these storms and all of this suffering, but we will not be defeated. Because the victory is not ours, it is Christ's. And therefore it is ours. Because though it is true that in this world you will have troubles, Jesus said, He then, right in the next breath, said, But be of good cheer. Why? For I have overcome the world. If we learn the lesson of Christ, if we learn the lessons of suffering, then we will be able to say with the psalmist, It is good for me that I was afflicted. That's Psalm 119.71. 
So we learn here this lesson about the realities of following Jesus. Now, as I mentioned, the disciples have not quite learned that yet, and that leads us to the next thing that we learn here, and that is we learn the lesson of the fear of the disciples. The fear of the disciples. And again, this is part and parcel of our lives. Christianity is not about floating around with, with, with folded hands and a halo above our head, above all of this, above all of our troubles, but it's about clawing our way along, recognizing that we are helpless and calling out to the one who has said he will help us. It's about working out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's learning to obey, learning to trust, learning to believe, and that's where the disciples are. And though verse 37 describes the severity of the storm and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling, verse 38 shows us the severity of this storm with the reaction of the crew. Uh, First of all, it tells us about Jesus. It says that Jesus was unconcerned about the storm. He is, Mark tells us, in the stern of the boat. Now, the stern, of course, as everyone knows, is the area built up over the stern post extending upward from the counter rail to the taff rail, right? Or as we call it, the back. The back of the boat. And he is, Mark says, asleep on a cushion. How, how in contrast to the, what we're going to see about the, the disciples here, how great and complete and absolute was Jesus' trust in his Father's protection, his Father's guiding hand, that he's asleep. By the way, it's, I think, telling that the only time in all of the Gospels where we read that Jesus was asleep is in the midst of a storm that is freaking out the rest of the people on the boat. A storm that is so fierce That, verse 38, shows us it has, and think about this, it has men who have fished on this lake probably their entire lives for a living. This was their their backyard. That it has them fearing for their lives. And they go back to the, to the back and they wake Jesus up. They shake him awake and they say, Do you not care that we are perishing? They're afraid. I don't blame them. I would be too. Do you not care that we are perishing? As I mentioned earlier, these, these details and the vividness of this really strike us as a firsthand account of what happened. You know, knowing Peter, Peter's probably the one that was shaking Jesus awake. And the lesson here, I think, is, is one of our embarrassing relation to what we read of the disciples. Because how often is this our response to the storms in our lives? I would venture to say, probably verbatim, that you have said, Jesus, don't you care? I won't ask for hands. But have you ever prayed like that? Has that thought ever come into your mind, even if it's not spoken out loud? 
And you know, both for the, for the disciples and for us, such thoughts and such, such words, they demonstrate our weakness. They demonstrate our, our level of faith. It's not a good indication. And, and our, our, the level of our belief and our understanding of the love of God. Because we are somehow convinced that difficulty means that God doesn't care. That love and allowing a loved one to have hard times are incompatible. We know that's not true. Parents, how many times have you explained to your child the opposite of that? That the reason we're doing this, uh, the reason that we are saying no to this, the reason that we're punishing you for this is what? Because we love you. Because this is best for you. Or you have them do something that is not something that they would want to do. And you say, this is good for you to do, to do this. Jesus even said, those whom I love, I chasten. And doesn't each and every believer in Christ and every student of Scripture know that to take that to the nth degree, that the ultimate good came from God making the ultimate sacrifice and allowing his beloved son to be crucified to save sinners. But, and we'll see more about this in a few moments, the reaction of the disciples does reveal weakness in them. Insufficiency, immaturity of their faith and and their trust. And Jesus is going to address that, but first Jesus will respond to their fear. He would not have them be fearful. And as clearly as Jesus' weariness demonstrated his humanity, what he does now at the climax here of the story demonstrates the power of Jesus, the deity of Jesus. That's our next lesson. Verse 39 says that he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace! Be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And here's Mark's main purpose for including this event in his record. It demonstrates so clearly Jesus' authority, that it extends to the natural world, that he has authority, that he is sovereign over the forces of nature. As jaw-dropping and incredible as it is to read about this beloved, it's perfectly reasonable because of who Jesus is. Jesus is a member of the triune Godhead, the same in essence and equal in power and glory to God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. As much God as the Father is. John writes that all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made in John 1-2. Paul makes similar statements in 1 Corinthians 8-6 and Colossians 1-16 as does the writer of Hebrews in the opening verses of his book. And so since all things were made through him, through his word, it makes sense that he can control those things. But knowing that, makes it no less 
awesome, full of awe, to see it in action. And it's so interesting that he rebukes the wind and he says to the sea, speaks to them. When creation was made, it was through the word. He spoke this universe into existence and now he speaks the sea into stillness. It's it's not a, a result of prayer, it's not a wish, it's not some incantation, but simply at the word of the creator. And such a demonstration and a lesson here we have of the sovereign power of Christ over the natural world. The one who spoke and created the Sea of Galilee and the one who creates the storms can calm them with a word and they must obey. And here he speaks and immediately Mark says, the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Notice a contrast here. This is just in in Mark's presentation. Verse 37 speaks of a great windstorm. Now there is a great calm. And in between the two, there is a great Christ, a powerful Christ, a Christ this event shows who can do what only God can do. Just as when Jesus forgave sins back in chapter 1, so when he stills the storm, he is doing God work. As the storm in Jonah's story, which has several parallels with this one, as that storm was stilled by God, so here it is stilled by Christ. And let us learn that lesson this morning. When we find ourselves in the midst of these storms, when we're face to face with loss, when we're up against danger, discouragement, or struggles, sin, whatever we face, know that nothing is beyond the reach and the ability of God, of Christ. Now, I'm not saying, and the Scripture doesn't say, that He will always spare you from these things. We've already talked about that. But His love means that He will always do what is best for you, And his divine power means that he can do whatever he wills to do. And his will is always best. So he will do his will and his will is always best. That's a hard but essential lesson for us to learn. And Jesus is now going to direct that same lesson to his disciples on the boat. So after he's dealt with the storm with a word, he turns to deal with his doubting disciples. But look at how he does so. Because here we get a lesson about the gentleness of Jesus. Verse 40 says that he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? He deals gently with them. He deals with them as the good shepherd You know, after being with Christ, after hearing him, it's telling that they would so soon, at the first sign of trouble, let their fear override their faith, which Jesus points out. He says, why are you afraid? Haven't you been paying attention? Haven't you seen, haven't you heard what I've been doing, what I've been saying, what I've been teaching? He says, have you still no faith? Now, obviously, he's engaging in a bit of hyperbole. They certainly had some faith, but it's still weak. 
It's still faltering. It's still growing. It's still in need of growth. And while this is the first time he mentions this, the first time Mark mentions it in his record here, it won't be the last. Now, he already hinted at it earlier when Jesus questioned them about their lack of understanding the first parable, back in chapter 4, verse 13. Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? But in fact, this lack of their understanding, they're just not seeming to get it, is going to be a continuing theme throughout the rest of Mark's gospel. Jesus questioned, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Is a great question for us, isn't it? Because he could ask the same question to us, and he does. And it really reveals our, our likeness to the apostles in that Jesus' question to them goes for us as well. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? You may know this, you may not, that looking throughout the scriptures, the most common command from God in the scripture is fear not. Don't be afraid. That's what Jesus asked the disciples. And it's a great condescension, a great mercy of God that he sees our little faith as he sees their little faith and he takes steps to strengthen it. And beloved, we ought not doubt that Christ can and will do everything that he has promised to do. And he has promised to do amazing things. He has promised to never leave you. He has promised to provide you with a means of escape in every temptation. He has promised to work all things for your good. And he has promised to intercede with the Father on your behalf. Let us learn that lesson today. Finally, we have a lesson about the reaction of the disciples. And here we just want to mention a little more on the the growth here of the disciples as they're coming to realize more and more just who this is that they're following. As Jesus takes his demonstration of his authority up a notch here with his demonstration of his command over wind and waves and storms, that with a word he can still the storm. You know, thinking about this episode, I can't help but think that, that Jesus, after speaking to the storm and then speaking to his disciples, turned around, went back to the back of the boat, laid down, and went back to sleep. And it's after that, then, that this discussion among the disciples takes place. As the crowds were amazed at his teaching and his authority earlier in Mark's gospel and said, who is this that he teaches with such authority that the the demons even listen to him? Now his closest disciples ask the same question. Who is this? Jesus has demonstrated his divine authority in this new area over which he is sovereign and it has a profound effect, as it should, on the disciples. And it's ironic that in this instance, the nearness of Christ is both comforting and terrifying to them. They were filled, verse 41 says, with great fear and said to one another, 
Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this? Yes, it's Jesus. Yes, it's Jesus from Nazareth. It's Jesus that has called us and that we've been following and we've been listening to and, or, and learning to. But who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him as they do? The lesson for us is for us to be reminded who we serve, whom we follow, who has given so much for us and who is even now watching over us always. Because with Jesus, it doesn't matter whether he's in the same boat with his disciples as he was here or whether he's as far as heaven is from earth as he is now. But his love and his care for us is the same. And beloved, take this with you, that it is not diminished by distance. It is not impeded by time. Christian, beloved, child of God this morning, the same God who spoke the waters into existence, the same God who formed you in your mother's womb, the same God who stilled the storm on the Sea of Galilee with a word, is your God. The one who stilled the storm on the sea has also stilled an even bigger storm. He has stilled the storm of wrath that separated you from God. And to that storm, Jesus said, Peace, be still, when he said, It is finished. When that happened, there was a great peace between you and God, between God and you. And that is ultimately the point of the story. Not that Jesus will rescue you from every storm of your life. We've already looked at that. Quite honestly, he won't. He has too much work to do in and through those storms for him to to cheat you by taking you out of them. He takes us through them, doesn't he? And it is in that that we learn. It is in that that we grow. It is in that that we glorify God. They are a blessing from the Lord because they are the schoolhouse of the Lord. Let us not be surprised by suffering. The point here, in fact, is not the storm. It's not the deliverance, but it's the deliverer the one with whom we have to do, the one before whom men fall down as dead. It is the Lord God omnipotent who reigns over all, who is your God and your Father. And to that let us say, Amen. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for this text. We thank you for these lessons. We pray that you'd continue to teach these things to us as we we contemplate our precious Savior and what he has done and what he is doing and what he will do. We pray, Father, that you'd continue to teach us about Christ. And we pray this all in his name. Amen.